0: You're listening to HowStreet.com Radio, available online at TalkDigitalNetwork.com. Welcome to HowStreet.com Radio, the online source for market opinions. Here is Jim Goddard. My
1: guest is James Corbett, publisher of the CorbettReport.com and editorial writer for the International Forecaster. He's speaking to us from Japan, where he's worked and lived since 2004. Welcome back to the show, James.
0: Thank you for having me back on. Always a pleasure to be here.
1: The IMF has come out with its economic forecast for 2019. Any highlights that you've spotted?
0: Highlights or lowlights? Well, uh, certainly, it certainly does, as I think we would expect, uh, cut back some of their earlier uh, forecasts from earlier this year about economic growth for 2019, specifically citing such things as the growing trade war between the U.S. and China as a drag on global growth. So no surprise there. Um, Interesting that it does... Get specifically into, uh, cryptos, uh, specifically the oversight and regulatory boundaries thereof, crypto, uh, cryptocurrency and, and new technologies for fintech, as they call it, financial technology. And again, I think it should be no surprise what they say, but worth noting nonetheless that they, one of the main things that they recommend is expanding oversight of these new financial technologies and how they're being used, because of course, if you put these types of new platforms in the hands of regular people, well, it's going to be a new speculative boom that's going to end up with a lot of tears for a lot of people, as I'm sure they could point to the uh, Bitcoin bubble of the $20,000 mark that we ha- hit last year. So I think that would be um, f- first and foremost on their list. Um, but right alongside that is the acknowledgement that, of course, uh, well, these technologies do not respect international uh, borders, so any oversight or regulatory mechanisms have to involve some sort of international coordination so that it doesn't result in a race to the bottom in terms of regulatory processes. So uh, once again, I think they're trying to use this as a rallying cry for basically globalization of regulation and ultimately global governance. And so again, no surprise that they're taking it in that direction. But of course, it should be noted that this is, of course, the exact opposite of the ethos of what cryptocurrency is. About what it was explicitly designed for, from the uh, the designer of Bitcoin itself in the, the white paper that introduced Bitcoin to the world, was talking about the 2008-2009 crisis, which gets more than a, a, a hat tip and a nod in this IMF World Outlook or economic outlook report as they're looking back on a decade uh, since the Lehman crisis. Well, Bitcoin was specifically founded in the wake of that crisis as a mechanism for bypassing these heavily manipulated central bank controlled fiat currencies, which uh, form the basis of our economy today. And what are they saying? Lo and behold, they're saying, well, you know, there's problems. We need international coordination. We need more, you know, central banks and strengthening governance and all of this, which, of course, is the exact opposite of the entire ethos and the raison d'etre for these cryptocurrencies, which is decentralization. So, again, I mean, I, I don't even think they're missing the point. I think they're just trying to run the ball in the direction that they want to go in. Um, I I think it's up to the users of these types of uh, technologies as to what direction it actually goes in, though. Being
1: bankers, they want the banks to control this, don't they?
0: Of course, yes. I mean, we have to understand who the International Monetary Fund is and what perspective they're coming from. And this is, of course, one of the... Vestiges of the uh, the old Bretton Woods monetary order that was set up at the end of World War II, and it's playing the game as it's uh, the best that it can given the developments that have taken place in the past almost a century now, going on for 80 years, and they're they're trying their best to try to keep the uh, the genie back in the bottle. But I think uh, again, it's not just the, the the sort of founding ethos of things like cryptocurrency, but it's actually the technology itself is decentralized. And that's that's the way it is meant to function. So it is going to be extremely difficult to put this back in the bottle, except through some sort of Orwellian total totalitarian privacy invasion of everyone so that they can see everything that's going on on all of your electronic devices at all times. And, oh, lo and behold, isn't that what the NSA whistleblowers, not just Snowden, but Bill Binney and uh, Thomas Drake and many others, have said in the last 15 years or so? The NSA is collecting everything on everyone, including Canadians, including people all over the world. So uh, we shouldn't be surprised that we are actually heading to that Orwellian uh, world just as they need it to try to crack down on this decentralization technology.
1: Canada today made recreational pot legal. But in Ontario and none of it, you can only buy it online. That means you have to use a credit card or debit. Doesn't that mean the U.S. government will have a record of your pot purchases?
0: Absolutely. And I guess people could point to the fact that, well, things are going in the other direction in, in the United States as well. And and there's a broad liberalization of, of laws against cannabis uh, happening in the United States. So perhaps this isn't as big a deal as it was even a few years ago. But... Um, as a counter to that, uh, I want to cite the uh, the program, and oh, the name of it is uh, I believe it was Operation Choke Point, which was in initiated under the, uh, the 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 sort of regulatory mechanism of uh, the the CFTC and the other government uh, the federal government agencies in the United States that regulate the banks in the U.S. Uh, they basically put pressure on banks to start delisting and actually taking the accounts away from completely legitimate and legal business owners but in industries that uh, that the federal government deemed they did not like um talking about things including this affected uh porn stars which got a lot of the the headlines but also things people uh, uh selling ammunition for for guns and things like this not illegal ammunition but completely legal ammunition they were actually sent notices and you can go and read some of the ones that have been posted online from their banks saying uh, sorry, we are terminating your account. You have two weeks to find another bank to do business with um, as a result of this operation choke point pr- program. And what that tells us is that the U S uh, government regulators, the, the ones that are backstopping the banks can and will use that pressure of, Hey, we'll guarantee these accounts. As long as you play by our rules to delist anyone they want and to, to basically take them out of the banking system, which again, Is the exact reason why things like cryptocurrencies exist is because eventually the idea is you will not need the bank. You can be your own banker. And I think that's why these technologies are such anathema to uh, institutions like the International Monetary Fund.
1: And uh, also with cryptocurrencies, didn't that see a huge spike in peer-to-peer lending?
0: Uh, absolutely. Uh, peer-to-peer lending as well as, uh, of course the infamous ICOs. So basically people can buy into ventures as they start up without any sort of oversight whatsoever from Securities Exchange Commission or the equivalent in Canada or anywhere else. And of course that led to huge speculative bubbles and a lot of people losing a lot of money, um, as you would expect. But also it does, uh, it, it really takes the idea of uh, founding, fostering and starting up entire new Industries really outside of the hands of the Wall Street and financial firms that have basically controlled that, that avenue, uh, in the U.S. and their equivalents, uh, in, in Toronto and Canada for, for really the last century or so. So, um, again, some really innovative and incredible things are happening at the exact same time as these crackdowns are happening. And I think it's a kind of a race as to, uh, which, which one will win. And I think ultimately that depends on the users out there and how motivated they are to actually engage with these new technologies or how much they'll just go with the flow. And if things are outlawed by the government, then we best we better pack it up. And that's, that's the end of cryptocurrency.
1: Aurora, Cannabis has received permission to list on the New York Stock Exchange. Is that a sign the U.S. perhaps is uh, more open to uh, cannabis business ventures?
0: Uh, It certainly is, although I will note quite cynically that one of the biggest drug money launderers in the world was HSBC, which was promptly declared too big to jail by the US Department of Justice because... Hey, that's that's part of the good old boy network, and it's a major financial institution. We're not going to go after them. So the big banks have always played with drug money. It's just that now it's kind of happening on a on a more localized and uh, less uh, institutional level. And uh, I would also note, um, with some cynicism, the I believe it was 1999 visit of the uh, at that time head of the New York Stock Exchange um, to to visit uh, the FARC uh terrorist guerrillas um in, uh in South America basically promising them hey guys if you invest your drug money in Wall Street we will we will be happy to uh, to take that money and uh this is not you know conspiracy theory reporting that was mainstream news at the time uh the Wall Street has always been interested in drug money it's just now they're kind of uh, openly and and above board doing so
1: right and Vancouver and Miami real estate probably wouldn't have done as well as it did without it uh Yes, that's right. We'll have more with James Corbett right after the break. Welcome back. We're speaking with James Corbett. James, we're hearing the RCMP is now investigating whether China is covertly trying to influence the B.C. municipal elections by supporting certain candidates who uh, believe in pro-China policies and so on. Is that a surprise to you?
0: Uh, it would be no surprise. What In fact, the only surprising thing would be if that sort of... Uh... Uh, influence peddling and buying was not going on. Um, One would expect that because obviously when we're talking about people with large amounts of money to to invest or to hide um, from their own government regulators, of course there are going to be people who are highly motivated to get people into positions of political power where they can exert influence over the types of regulatory frameworks that will make that easier or more difficult. So again, uh, I think – the logic of the system dictates that any reasonable and sensible businessman would be trying to buy off politicians if that was available to them. Um I'm not advocating that on a moral basis, but I'm saying, of course, they're going to attempt to, to do that. And it would only be surprising if that was not happening.
1: The U.S.-China trade war, a Chinese delegation who's negotiating with the U.S. said, It's really confusing in these talks because we don't know who's in charge and we keep getting conflicting messages. Do you think that's what's going on?
0: I think so. And I think that one of the lessons that we're learning from this is that uh, only things that are actually happening should be that that are actually formally taking place should be taken for granted. And even then, perhaps not. Uh, One example of that is that apparently one of the latest moves by the Trump administration is to remove the United States' from the Universal Postal Union's small package uh, uh, special price discount that they they operate, which basically allows Chinese firms to ship small packages of goods, um, including counterfeit goods and whatever else, to the United States at a lower rate. They're essentially being um, uh, subsidized by the U.S. government to send these packages to the United States, uh, and they end up getting there at a lower rate than domestic manufacturers do, which... Seems quite uh, ridiculous. So the U.S. has actually formally uh, signaled that they are going to pull out of this uh, postal union um, uh, that they're they're a part of. But uh, even there, although they have actually f- formally filed the paperwork to withdraw, it takes one year for that withdrawal to t- kick in. And during that one year, it's all up for negotiation, um, rates and whatever else. So they have signaled that yes, we are formally announcing our decision to withdraw, and we will withdraw in one year unless we get a better deal, and then we'll rescind our our formal proposal to withdraw. So really nothing can be taken for granted in these topsy-turvy trade wars.
1: China posted a record trade surplus with the U.S. Is that making these trade talks even more difficult?
0: Yes, I I think there's a number of things that are complicating um, what's going on right now, and I think that's reflected in um, stories like, I mean, for example, the U.S. Treasury, just released its latest report. It's, uh, I believe, biannual or semi-annual report on foreign exchange rates. And in that report, they actually declined to list China as a currency manipulator. Um, the, the, the rhetoric is all about, oh, you know, we're very concerned about the low level of yuan, but we're not going to actually formally label them a currency manipulator at this time, which I think is, again, pretty interesting, considering that that would presumably want be one of the first uh, – guns that the US would go to in the trade war um but apparently they're they're holding off on that and and what's the point of that well maybe they're trying to keep some ammunition dry for future use based on you know where things progress from here so I, again i think we're privy to a lot of different information that's coming in in sometimes conflicting signals right now so it's difficult to to see this but yes certainly um, will, I think all eyes will be on the actual trade deficit and whether that's going up or down and and sort of the size of that, which has been one of the key concerns of the U.S. administration on this point.
1: China's central bank says it still has plenty of tools to counter the detrimental effects of their trade war with the U.S. Do they have tools that we don't know about?
0: <laughs> uh not really i i would well i'll believe it when i see it let's put it that way um i think there's a lot of uh diplomatic chest beating and big talk going on right now but i wouldn't really take that uh to heart or at least not without a, quite a few grains of salt uh there there are as we've talked about before there are things that china can be and is doing um certainly for the long term in setting up alternative infrastructures alternative uh trade deals Bilateral trade deals, trading in local currencies, uh, create, creating their swift alternative, all of these things that they are engaged in that will have long-term consequences. But in the short term, there isn't a lot they can do other than yuan uh, currency manipulation, basically lowering the, value, the, uh, the price of the yuan to, to make it more competitive um, other than that, they don't have a lot of ammo there, unless, I mean, I'm ser- perfectly willing to be proven wrong, but uh, as I say, I'll believe it when I see it, because obviously they're just trying to position themselves as the uh, the dog with the bigger bark at the moment, but it really comes down to which is the bigger bite.
1: We'll have more with James Corbett right after this. Welcome back. We're speaking with James Corbett. James, what are you hearing about the mysterious disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist who went into their embassy in Turkey and never came out?
0: Well, I will confess, first of all, that I have actually been on hiatus the past week, so I did not follow this story at all as it was developing. So I'm really um, as under-informed about this as uh, many people. But I would say in the broader context of Saudi Arabia and its place in international geopolitics, which, of course, Canadians will be familiar with given recent developments, I think it is very interesting that suddenly the international community and international um, uh, media is very interested in Saudi Arabia and its position on human rights and uh, protection of journalists and things, because, of course, this is not a new development. I mean, regardless of what did or didn't happen with Jamal Khashoggi, and we don't I think we don't really know at this point, although there's certainly strong suspicions. But uh, if it does turn out basically as it's being portrayed that he was just wantonly slaughtered by the Saudi government, this is not exactly a new development in terms of Saudi Arabia and its way of dealing with critics, uh, internally and externally. And we would point to the many, many, many connections, uh, between the Saudi government and Saudi business leaders and, for example, of course, the, the Bush administrations, both of them, but specifically George W. Bush and, uh, the very many connections, uh, between Bush and, for example, Bandar Bush, the, uh, who was at the time the Saudi ambassador to the United States, uh, called Bandar Bush because he was essentially one of the Bush family. Um, There's obviously deep, deep political and business ties. And we've seen that manifested most recently in the Trump administration with the signing of the multi-billion dollar arms deal um with Saudi Arabia. So I think there's some, it, it's just interesting that suddenly human rights in Saudi Arabia is becoming a concern for a lot of people when, of course, nothing has fundamentally changed with regards to that.
1: Yes, the fact that women are allowed to drive, uh, just don't accept invitations to visit the embassy.
0: <laughs> yes, and even the women being allowed to drive seems to be more of a, uh, a PR campaign more than, than any sort of fundamental change that's happening in the day to day lives of Saudis as has been documented. But again, uh, I mean, all of this seems suspicious that it's just coming into the limelight now, um, given the really atrocious record of the Saudi regime, um, for, for most of the entirety of its existence, really, and the way that it's treated its population with a iron fist in the velvet glove of the uh, the government programs that have basically greased the wheels of the Saudi economy um, based on their oil money for many, many years. Well, now suddenly it's becoming an issue of concern. And one just has to wonder if there's some political pressure that's, that's coming now and people trying to get some political leverage on the Saudi regime um, at a time of but potentially they see a transformation happening in that region.
1: Uh, This controversy is also hitting Japan. Uh, High-tech firm SoftBank has seen its shares plunge because they have very close ties with the Saudi government. Any other Japanese businesses that are being hit by this?
0: uh none that i've seen or that come to mind but i do know about the softbank connection because i was following the uh the uh bruhaha the announcement the pr campaign about the rollout of neom last year which is the saudi government's uh the saudi monarchy's um, idea for creating this, I believe, $600 billion smart city of the future out in the desert in southwestern Saudi Arabia, if memory serves. And they're going to create this city basically from scratch, and it's going to be the smart tech everything and blah, blah, blah. And this grand vision um, uh, at the event that they they used to launch this grand vision of this city of the future, which ironically... Not coincidentally, I don't know, was taking place at the very Hilton that just a couple of weeks after that was the home to a lot of the Saudi family that got arrested in those raids that we saw. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy few weeks there in Saudi Arabia. But one of the people attending that rollout, the PR rollout for this Neom City of the Future was Matsuyoshi uh of of softbank um and he is going to or was going to be i guess i don't know is going to be one of the key partners in the development of that city and is clearly tied into the royal family in saudi arabia so um very interesting connections and we'll have to see whether softbank will distance itself from the saudi government over the the backlash that it's receiving right now
1: the shanghai composite index hit a new low since november 2014 does that mean it's about to crash or is it just a chance to get some bargains?
0: Yeah, well, uh, I guess that depends who you ask. And I believe last time we were talking about the uh, the contradictory outlook um, from J.P. Morgan and uh, I can't remember the other agency that was forecasting this. And uh, and one was basically saying it's, uh, it's all crashing and the other saying this is a good buying time. So I mean, to pick your analyst, I suppose. Um, but I would say just, if if history is anything to go by, um, the route in Chinese stocks are generally um, presaged by a buy-up or a consolidation funded by the government. Um, and there has been an understanding that a lot of investors have had for the last several years that the government's not going to let it crash. No matter what happens, they're gonna step in and make sure that there's a floor and yeah maybe some heads will roll actually quite literally when they take some of these uh-huh. CEOs of these corporations that are in trouble and uh, behind closed doors and they don't come out alive whatever happens uh, on that regard might happen but um the the understanding that a lot of investors have in China domestically at least is that oh the government will backstop any of these these things that go really awry uh well there is of course the question of can the chinese government just continue to do that willy-nilly and uh, especially in the midst of this trade war where they're already feeling the squeeze, perhaps the Chinese government will be content to let some of these tr- stocks die, let a bit of the market uh, have its bloodbath, as it were. Uh, that would be an interesting development. But I think for the time being, at least Chinese investors seem uh, have for some time had the understanding that the Chinese government will always be there to backstop any prolonged growth.
1: James, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure to be here. My
1: guest has been James Corbett, publisher of thecorbettreport.com. He was speaking to us from Japan. If you have any questions for James or any of our other guests, you can send them to info at howstreet.com. I'm Jim Goddard. Thanks for listening.
0: Comments made on HowStreet.com radio are an expression of opinion only and should not be construed in any matter whatsoever as recommendations to buy or sell any financial instrument at any time. Available online at TalkDigitalNetwork.com. HowStreet.com radio is a production of HowStreet Media Incorporated.